Hey everyone, it's Karen G from Tower Hill, and we're kicking off a new sermon series this week, and we're trying something new on our podcast. I'm here with my friend Marisa from our production team. Hey everyone, it's so easy to think about all the little things that annoy you every day, but it's hard to think about the things that make you grateful. I think we need more of that, and I love that Pastor Jason is starting this new sermon series in November because our hearts and our minds are on Thanksgiving anyway. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason so he can talk us through the power of a grateful heart. That's today on the podcast. Good morning, Tower Hill Church. What a blessing this day is. Thanks for joining us for this online worship service. And if it's your first time with us, a very special welcome to you. I pray that you feel as welcome as you are. Please don't hesitate to reach out and check out all that we're doing as a church. And that's easy to do if you just go to our website, towerhillchurch.org. Man, it is great. I hope you got some extra sleep today. And, you know, maybe some of you, you're checking to see if the service is going on. You're like, what the heck's going on? Oh, yeah, that's right. I had an extra hour. I guarantee you that uh, that happened to a lot of people. Uh, and I got a great story about that. You should ask me sometime about when we had to fall back and or spring forward. And I was responsible for the sunrise Easter service. I'll, I'll tell that story another time. But uh, anyway, welcome. However you're watching, whoever you're watching with, uh, a very a special welcome. And I'm so glad that we could be together for this service. Now, we're starting a new sermon series today, which is really exciting, I think. And I hope you're excited too. And it's about this idea of gratitude. Now, I know that we hear gratitude messages all the time as we get into the month of November. And and my opinion on that is good. We probably need a reminder. We probably need a reminder more than once a year about the gift and the importance of gratitude in our lives. So this sermon series called Thank You is what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. Now, the thing is about gratitude is I think most Christians, and I'll include myself in here sometimes, is I think we have a gratitude problem. And I think it's really easy to have a gratitude problem when things aren't going your way. Like, I don't know, like during a pandemic. Or anything, or any time in your life, any season where you feel like things ought to be going a certain way. And God, why aren't things going better for me? What happens is when you have a gratitude problem, that means you are simply not grateful for what you have. You're not grateful for what God has done for you today, waking you up, giving you life, giving you another shot at faithfulness. And what happens is over time, the gratitude problem can launch us into something much worse. In fact, I think a gratitude problem often leads to an entitlement problem. And, and we get spiritually like this with God. But just think about this in your kids. I mean, I think, my goodness, I think about my kids. My kids are great. But yeah, they're a little bit entitled. I think they expect to have things come their way. And they're not always as grateful as I would like them to be to really appreciate the sacrifices that their mother and I are making for them. Maybe you felt that way too, parents. And in some ways, it definitely feels like over the last 10, 20 years, that we are raising generations of kind of increasingly entitled children. And it all comes from a good place. Like we're trying to do, you know, we're trying to do best for our children. We want to give them the things that we didn't have or we did have. And, and sometimes they just don't always appreciate the gifts that they get. And this is very true with us spiritually. 
And it becomes about what I deserve instead of just, wow, what have I been graced with? I am so thankful. We may have a gratitude problem. Well, um, more of that in a minute. First, I just want to have a little fun. Can you remember the very first concert you ever went to? I remember I was 15 years old, and this is a little trivia for you. I went to see, first concert, this guy. Anyone? Anyone? Yes. George Michael. Yes, I went to the George Michael concert, my first concert, and I went with my mother. My mother I went with. Okay, it wasn't the coolest thing ever to go to my first concert with my mother or maybe to see George Michael, although he was awesome. So anyway, my second concert got a lot cooler, and that's when I went to go see the Rolling Stones. And it was the Steel Wheels Tour at Shea Stadium, and I never had been offered weed before that moment by a 45-year-old, and I was a teenager. Anyway, more on that, and I did not partake. The two things that those concerts had in common was that they didn't start on time. They both started late. And I noticed this about both concerts, is that when I was there, it's like, come on, like this thing was supposed to start like 20, 30, 35 minutes ago. What's going on? And every once in a while, you would hear like some, some part of the tech crew would come and hit the kick drum. Doom, doom. And everyone would be like, ah, because they would start freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, they're, they're coming on, they're coming on. And finally, you know, after, I don't know, it seemed like a really long time, you know, all of a sudden, you know, then Mick Jagger, you stop me up and never stop, right? I mean, it was awesome. But the thing is, is what these concerts do, they actually, I found out years later, they do this intentionally, which is why many concerts that you've gone to in your life, I bet you have not started on time. Why? Because they're trying to generate excitement, anticipation, so that when that moment comes, you are teed up. You are ready to run through a wall. You are jacked up and ready to experience it. That's the secret formula of many events that go on. And this is the idea. It is about anticipation and excitement. And because what they know is, is that if they get you started up, so to speak, if you're expecting joy, you're likely to find it. Right, if you're, if, it's all about your expectations. I'm expecting to have a great time at this concert. And oh my gosh, I can't wait. And you know, we paid the money and, and we fought the traffic and we did the parking and we got here and we're ready and we're sitting in our seats and we can't wait for this thing to start. Now I want to ask you this question. You ever feel like that going to worship? Yeah. Maybe. Every once in a while, special occasion. It's funny how Scripture describes what our spirit should be like when we're entering the presence of God, when we are going to have this moment where God's people are gathered and we're going to be worshiping Him. Something in us should be like, we should be so excited because we are expecting God to show up. Psalm 100 is a wonderful example of this. I want to read it for you now. Psalm 100 starts like this. It says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Like nothing can be more exciting than that. He made you. You are his. Get fired up. God's going to show up as we worship him together. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise 
his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Like it's firing you up, getting you ready to expect God to show up. Now, I mean, this really, again, spiritually about when it comes to worship. I think if we had a healthier sense of anticipation and expectation that we're going to hear a word from the Lord today, he's going to speak into our lives. I don't know. We might be transformed in how we just approach our Sunday gatherings, how we approach worship itself, that it's not just some sort of like religious service that's done to me. It's an experience that moves through me that transforms me, that connects me with the throne room of God. It's about anticipation and excitement. And I often think about that verse from Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now I know, especially you with young kids, that's exactly how you feel when you're coming to church. Okay, well maybe it's a little more like this. Right? Like the kids are never ready they're making you crazy. Everybody's running late. And you're just like, why did I even bother today? Well, we're halfway ready. So we got to keep going. And oh my gosh, we're going to be late. And this thing wasn't done this way. And it's like, we, there's so much stress. And I feel like that is just like the perfect microcosm of our lives as we come to worship every single week. It's like, life beats you down, man. It's easy to not have that anticipation and joy and excitement because you're thinking about all the things that are going wrong. It's like, you're just kind of getting pummeled. And, and, you know, maybe you're not feeling that today, but you know that feeling. You just like, it's like you're taking one hit after another. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm just crawling into worship today. I'm barely making it. I'm not feeling, Pastor, all that joyful yet. I'm hoping you're going to supply that to me because I'm running on empty. And, you know, for a lot of us, you feel like you're running on empty every single time you show up here. And it just, it makes me wonder as a Christian, like, what, what is it that I'm getting wrong? Maybe it has to do with this relationship between gratitude, like Psalm 100. You know, I'm just glad, God, that you made me and I'm yours. Not that this is going around in my life, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, or that I think I deserve entitlement, think I deserve this, this, or this. I think the problem is, spiritually speaking, we're very pessimistic. And you know what? It's really hard to give thanks when your cup feels half empty. Right? When you're always thinking that you're on half empty, it's hard to be thankful. And if we have a hard time being thankful to God, it's going to be hard to get really joyful about God. It's going to be hard to have anticipation and excitement when all we do is just wish you would fix what's wrong. Well, there's a a wonderful story in the Gospel of Luke where uh, Jesus is traveling from the North Galilee down to Jerusalem. And he passes through the border, around the border of Samaria on his way. And he tells this story, or the story we get is an, a moment that he has with a leper colony. And here's how it goes. This is from the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Why did they stand at a distance? And why is he traveling along the border? Well, as you know, or you may remember from Scripture, that there there are lots of stories in the New Testament about the Samaritans. 
The Samaritans were really the enemies of the Jewish people. They were seen as foreigners. They were seen as less than. They worshiped a different God on a different mountain. They were not children of the covenant. They got it wrong, and they often did this culturally. And so Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's going along the border as if just to kind of go along the outskirts of Samaria, which is exactly where they would have put a leper colony of Samaritans at the edge, at the border of their country. Why? Because they, I mean, they knew quarantine back then. They knew, they didn't know a lot of science, but they knew that they need to keep the sick people away from the healthy people. So their colonies were always outside the village. And leprosy back then could have been all different kinds of skin diseases that they could not identify. And they kind of lumped them together. And the only way you could leave once you were put there was to be cleared by the priests. You had to show yourself to the priest. They had to say, yep, you're clean. You could rejoin society. But sadly, people spent years, sometimes the rest of their lives, away from everybody that they loved. And to kind of give you an idea of just to map it out in your head. So here's Galilee. Here's where Jesus is coming from. And he's traveling down here to Jerusalem. So you see, this is Samaria. And he's just kind of, he's going along the border here, probably because there's water as well. But, you know, it kind of wasn't, you didn't want to kind of go through Samaria. I mean, it wasn't really safe passage. So, so here's it. And, and listen, the thing with the, with the lepers is you can see like there's both a geographic border and a spiritual border going on here, right? And, and with the lepers, they kind of felt it worse than anybody because they were the ones who were separated. They were seen to be separated from God and they were literally separated from others. Remember the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the only way that you kind of fully know and love the fullness of God and others. Those things go together. Now, both those things are kind of taken away from the lepers. So I imagine that, you know, a lot of what they're going through, I mean, listen, the lepers' condition may have been as much about spiritual, emotional pain as physical pain of the disease. So Jesus is passing by. Let's get back to the gospel. And, and call, so the lepers called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. So that's interesting, right? So they've heard of Jesus. They know that he has a healing reputation. And they call out to him from a distance, which actually they were legally obliged to call out in a distance when they saw others coming to say, hey, we're lepers. And you have to know that. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Could you imagine this? So they go to the priest and it's like they get their lives back. They get their lives back. Not only they're healed from their condition, but they get to go rejoin society and be back with their kids or parents or whoever that they loved. You know, they got to have a life again. I mean, I imagine it's like, it's like someone hands you a winning lottery ticket, right? <laughs> and you're freaking out because it just changed your entire life. It just changed everything. What, what would you do for that person who handed you the winning? If a person comes up to you and just like, yeah, I have the winning numbers. I want it, but I don't really need it. So here you go. Oh my gosh, like the rest of your life, you would be so thankful. You would do anything for that person. You'd be like, you know, you'd be calling them up. Hey, you good? Need any help with your bills? You okay? I mean, like, we got you. So of course, you know, Jesus heals these lepers. And what do you imagine comes next? I mean, they... They're overjoyed and they come running back to Jesus and just thank you, right? Let's read. 
One of them. One of them. When he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That's like the punchline of this story. He was a Samaritan. He was one that didn't know any better. And he got it. This foreigner put himself at Jesus' feet. As if to say, if he can do it, why can't all of you listening to this story? Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That's interesting, right? That's an interesting thing to say. Somehow, someway, Jesus is saying, well, maybe there's a difference between the healing and being made well. There was something different about, yes, yes, those lepers were cleansed, but something else happened with the one that came back. Something deeper. I don't know if we can really parse it out, but what we can know is Jesus meant there was something else. There was something that was missing. There was a difference between the cleansing and the being made well. And I think, and I think the point of the, of the story for, from Jesus' point of view is to say the difference is a grateful to God heart. This is the key to following Jesus with everything you are. This is the key to making sure that you live in a spirit of gratitude and not entitlement. Just saying, I'm so grateful to God for every blessing he has given me, especially when the things around me aren't going the way that I want. And I don't fall prey to that mindset that says, I should get what I really deserve, and I deserve more from God. So what does that look like then? And this is really what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks, is what does a grateful-to-God heart really look like? What are some of the characteristics of a grateful-to-God heart? I know that in my own life, right, I've, I've had times where I'm just like, oh, God, why this, why this, and fix this, fix this. And, and I find just spiritually and emotionally, I'm down, I'm more depressed, I'm less likely to, to make big, important steps in my life. I'm a little bit paralyzed by my condition. But when I start operating from a spirit of gratitude, it's like something awakens in me. It's like my heart starts beating again and my spirit starts growing again and wanting to do things and wanting to, like, God, I'm so grateful for you. You gave me the winning lottery ticket and I just want to come and I, and I want to do what you want to do. And how can I pay you back? And I know that I can't, but, but I want to try. Like, I want other people to know what this is like, this wonderful grace that you've given to my life. And see what happens, it, it transforms you, it changes you. And everything you look at, the rest of your life is different. Everything you look at when you see those challenges come your way is different. So what are the characteristics of a grateful to God heart? Well, I think the first thing is a grateful to God heart trusts in the giver even more than the gifts. What do I mean? Well, sometimes we base our own level of faith on, well, what gifts do we think God is giving us? Well, okay, God's giving us good things. That must mean we're in good position with God. That must mean I'm doing something right. Right? And then the pandemic happens. And it's like, well, wait a second. Where are all these gifts 
is God mad at me? Am I not doing something right? Am I not listening? No, no, no. Uh, that's an entitlement heart. An entitlement heart's never certain because it's based on what you think you deserve. And if, and if things are going wrong and then you get in your head, well, I must deserve it. I mean, that's not the gospel. That's not Jesus, but, but it messes us all up. And so we have to trust the giver first and foremost. Say, okay, God, I'm not seeing these other gifts that I'm hoping for, but I tell you what, I thank you for your gift of salvation every single day. When I have nothing left in my life to be thankful for, I can thank you, God, that you saved me from an eternity away from you. And that's enough. The good news is enough. I think the other thing, a grateful to God heart also transcends my circumstance because I have that kind of baseline joy that never goes away, that even in my circumstance, I too, I can have excitement and anticipation when I go to meet God in worship. Even if things aren't all that exciting in my life, things aren't going well, I still have that same amount of anticipation and excitement. Why? Because my grateful heart transcends the circumstance. Not that it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, because I think that's not exactly true. I think it will always affect us. But my joy never, never turns into despair. I always have a sense that I'm going to hear something from the Lord. And you know what? That thing I'm hoping for hasn't come soon, but I'm going to keep praying. And I can't wait for how God's going to resolve this. That's a grateful to God heart. That's what a grateful to God heart looks like. And it doesn't come naturally, does it? It takes some intention. And so I'll do that. I'll literally do that. I'll be praying to God and I'll find myself getting stuck in entitlement mode accidentally. And I'll be like, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I guess I kind of went off the rails there. But so God, thank you. And then I just start rattling off all the things I'm thankful for. And it does like a gratefulness reset. And it makes a huge impact on my daily life. The other thing is it transforms my perspective, right? And now I'm not thinking about, you know, like the, the glass is half empty. No, my glass is always and forever overflowing. I have more, I have the living water of Jesus Christ that never stops pouring into me eternally. No. It, it totally, it's totally more than anything that I could ask or imagine. So yeah, it transforms my perspective. And then finally, what it does is hopefully it triggers my action. It puts me in motion. It says, okay, man, you gave me the win. I got the winning lottery ticket and now I got to do something about it. A grateful to God heart is a heart that is compelled to share God's grace with the world, to do that act of compassion and love, to get off your feet and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what a grateful to God heart looks like. So I'm going to ask you a hard question this morning. I want to ask you a hard question. Are you a half-empty, entitled Christian? I think if we're all honest, we all are sometimes. Or are you an overflowing, grateful disciple of Jesus? I hope to be, and I hope to be more. Maybe you do too. And maybe you don't know where to start, and that's okay. I think a great place to start is simply thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.
Amen. Amen.